Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Were you sipping out of a, looked like a Columbus, Columbus Blue Jackets mug? No, what is it? It's a hockey coffee mug. It's a goalie on one side, and it's a uh, oh, is that Grant Fearpad? It's a perhaps. skater. It's a skater on the other side. All right. And they're kind of blue and orange. Yeah, yeah, kind of Grant Fear. Before he went all white. Remember, you had the all white pads, blocker, and glove at one point. That was pretty flashy until till they all started getting hit by pucks, and then they started to stain up a little bit. Yeah, best money goalie. I've seen in my life, not named Bernie Perrant, one of the best in NHL history. Although he wasn't great against the Russians in 87. If I'm completely honest, he wasn't Grant, the Grant Fuhrer. Uh, anyway, that's a different issue. Well, except for an overtime in game two, where if he lets in one goal in 30 minutes of double overtime, if he lets in a goal anywhere in those 30 minutes, they lose the series and they're done. And that was when Grant Fuhr did Grant Fuhr things and didn't let the other team get the next goal until Mario finally broke it open at 10.07 of the second overtime period. Not that I have specific memories of these things. But yeah, six to five scores do not look good on goalies. I'd have to look at the scoring chances in that game to be sure. Anyway, Bruce... um, Let's talk about the expansion. I'm just Googling to find the scoring chances that game because I actually did them, <laughs> at one, I did them at one point. Uh, how will I find it? Probably Howard. Um, the orders at the trading deadline. Mm-hmm. Not the trading deadline. The expansion day trading deadline. Yeah. Uh, it's a moment widely hoped for by NHL fans in various cities where their team would be able to take advantage of the fact there's an expansion draft coming up. Teams can only protect so many players, generally speaking, seven forwards per team, three defensemen, and one goalie in general. It could be four or four and one uh, in the other scenario. And this will leave all kinds of good players that they can't protect. So teams, in theory, would want to trade those players to get value for them before losing them to Seattle uh, would be the idea. And it's Mm -hmm. a little bit more complicated than that. It is. Because if you trade a player, so you get va- and you get some value for him, you're going to lose another player. Yes. So it's not all that simple. It's 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 almost like you had to have two good players that you were going to lose. So then it made perfect sense to move one of them, and then the offer had to be good enough to make to make make sense for you to to make the move. So there was it wasn't complete open season on the expansion mm-hmm. list that Seattle right. hopes to feast off of, but there were some good deals to be had out there, Bruce. Yep. And the Oilers were not silent this week. They did make a trade, an expand, like kind of a, a couple of them. They did make a an expansion draft trade when they picked up Duncan Keith, mm-hmm. which meant they had to add Chicago could protect ah. someone else. And the Oilers had to add Keith because he has a no movement clause mm-hmm. uh, to their expansion list. Um, so they did make one move, but I, it's not generally, listen, the general consensus around the NHL and it, and it is a massive and vast consensus. It doesn't mean it's right, but there is a vast consensus that the Oilers overpaid for Duncan Keith and probably significantly so. And very few commentators, uh, say other than that. Uh, there are some that we've heard, uh, on Oilers now this week, you know, lots of 
veteran hockey guys who like the deal from the owner's perspective, Louis DeBrusque and Kurt Levins from the cult of hockey has made a strong defense of it and other people have defended the deal. But I'm going to say like in terms of people who regularly comment on the NHL, it's uh, and on the owners, it's about 90% who would say the owners are over overpaid. And in contrast to that today, Bruce, we have a number of deals where it looks like, and through the week uh, leading up to the expansion draft roster freeze we have a number of deals where the uh some other teams got some pretty good deals what in terms of what what's standing out today for you bruce what are you thinking today well i mean there's there's a number of defensemen that are moving around with keith having in the first piece to be be uh moved so that took the orders out of that market and since then we've seen guys like ryan ellis who got moved for not too different of a package in some ways. Like they got Philip Myers, who is, you know, I mean, compare him to Caleb Jones, and at least you're in the conversation. Uh, You may have a higher opinion of one than the other. They got a second-round pick. The Oilers gave up a conditional second-round pick. And Ryan Ellis is a lot closer to the prime of his career. We saw Ryan Graves got moved, Nick Letty. Uh, We've heard, you know, uh, Ryan Suter that got bought out. There's a lot of defensemen. uh, Alex Edler that's going to the open market. There's a lot of defensemen uh, that potentially could have been second-pairing left defensemen that that, uh, the Oilers might have got for either a cheaper contract or a cheaper acquisition cost. And that's, that's that's where I'm stuck is that. Uh, they gave up too much for not getting any cap relief uh, on that deal. And uh, for those who interpret it, interpreting that as saying, me coming out and saying, I don't like Duncan Keith, you're wrong. I don't like the trade that got Duncan Keith. And that's a lesson we've had to learn. You know, uh, a lot of Oilers fans didn't learn it when uh, Jimmy Carson came for Wayne Gretzky, for example, or when Joffrey Lupo came for Chris Pronger. And... I think we got better when Adam Larson came for Taylor Hall. You might not like the trade. There's no reason to hate Adam Larson because he didn't like the trade that he came in, right? Ditto for Duncan Keith. So that off my chest. Uh, it's hard for, it's hard. I have to say this, Bruce. It's mm-hmm. hard for some fans to separate the two. I've noticed over the yes, years. Yes, it is. They they hate the trade so much that they've, that their yeah. ability, in my opinion, could be wrong but what i see from a lot of them is their ability then to fairly rate and assess the player who's coming in is is mm-hmm. is impaired right. and um you know that's fine like if you're like a normal if you're just a normal fan and everyone can say whatever they want it's all part of the fun in a way like we don't have to be unbiased observers like i i try to i guess i'm trying to position myself slightly like i have a when when you're like me and you're writing and like you we're often writing our opinions on these trades and they're, and they're, they're held against us years later. Mm-hmm. So because of that experience, I try to get it right now. And so what I've, what I've done is what there's a, when there's a trade, unless I have really strong information, I don't put up a, I try not to put up too definitive of, of an opinion, although I usually have right. something to say. So that, and one of the benefits of that is when I'm judging the, hopefully when I'm judging Duncan Keith this year, mm-hmm. I won't be, I won't need to defend my previous position on him. I can say he's good or he's bad just based on his current position. And I don't have to say, Oh, this guy is, this guy's fantastic, which goes against every, all that nasty horrendous judgments I made about his value back then. It uh, it goes against that. I think it's hard for people to do that if they come out too strongly. And they do the same thing on contracts too, many people. And that's also an easy thing to come up because the contract contract sets the expectations for the player. To me, 
the GM owns all that. He owns the trades. He owns the you know the draft picks. He owns the owns the construction of the team and the prices that he paid to to bring those guys in, and that's on the GM. The guys themselves are accountable for what they do on the ice, and sometimes you have to calibrate what they do on the ice versus how much of the salary cap they're taking because it's part of the it's part of the competitive equation. But how much of the salary they're they're taking to me that's on the you know it's on the GM. He thinks they're worth putting this much into it. So the player Completely himself agree. is in a different yeah. different judgment category. Now back to your original question, the the one that set my top to blowing today was when Toronto picked up Jared McCann forward for a seventh round pick and a a half decent prospect that they got from Pittsburgh in the Casper Kapanen and trade. Uh, yeah. That uh, uh, was uh, um, uh, Hallander. 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 Second round pick. Second round pick, I think, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Who I would suggest, look, just looking at his stats, and again, I mm-hmm. don't watch this player, but mm-hmm. looking at his numbers and his stats, looks like I'm going to suggest he's trended down as a prospect right. somewhat. He's, he doesn't look like he's tra- he's a regular kind of a regular second third line forward in the Swedish league. Let's call let's say the Oilers are offered a seventh round pick and Tyler Benson. Do you think they get uh, 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 Jared McCann? I mean, to me, that's a similar option. And I wrote about I specifically wrote about Jared McCann in my last post, but I wrote more generally about the Oilers protected list uh, having really five must protect forwards three must protect defense, which is the max, and zero must protect goalie. So there was a window of opportunity here for the artists to go out and get one, if not two, forwards that would have upgraded their protected list, and definitely to go out and get a goalie uh, that uh, that they could protect. Uh, and, there, you know, there was a couple of options there, like uh, not only did Aiden Hill change hands, and they paid, a, they paid a pretty penny for Aiden Hill, but there's a couple of UFA goalies that, you can make a trade to get there um, just to get the rights to negotiate with them. And the time to make that trade would have been this week because they could have protected, say, uh, Linus Ulmark or Chris Dreger that are clearly going to market from their old team. And they could probably get the rights to that guy for, you know, for they'd have to give up something. But then they could put him on their protected list and negotiate with them that way and, and maybe get something done. But in particular, the McCann one, I mean, McCann was. Uh, he scored 2.4 points per 60 this year playing five on five. And he wasn't playing with Crosby and he wasn't playing with Malkin in Pittsburgh. He was playing with sort of middle six caliber line mates. Uh, he had three good years in a, in a row in Pittsburgh. A big time outscorer. He was plus 36 minus 16 this year and uh, uh, five on five. Again, not playing with Sid or Gene, right? He's playing with, uh, with um, you know, half decent players, but... Uh, uh, but guys a little bit down the list there in Pittsburgh. And he was one where Pittsburgh, they had eight guys forwards that they needed to protect. And he and Teddy Bluger were number seven and eight, and they were going to lose one. So they uh, they did get something back for McCann. And they're still, as you say, they're still going to lose another player to Seattle, which is part of the equation. But they clearly thought that he was a layer above the guy they're going to wind up losing, and they could got a half decent return for him and I'm not sure that a seventh round pick and Philip Hallander is that but I guess Hallander might work out so it's the obvious and, it's the one obvious steal what, what looks like a steal of a deal and, and which begs the question did Pittsburgh not shop this guy like couldn't they have gotten more for Jared McCann I mean 
Bruce, to put that 2.55 points per 60 at even strength into context, that was the 49th highest mm-hmm. even strength point scoring rate for a regular forward in the NHL this year. Out of like 430 regular forwards who played more than 200 minutes a, 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 um, this season at even strength, that was the 49th highest I mean, and and as you say, this isn't just his first good year. He's, he had a couple pretty good years before that, and this year his, his scoring was was really good. Now, why couldn't they get more for that? And why wouldn't the Oilers, for instance, you know, they've got a sixth round. Why not, hey, we'll give you a sixth round pick in Tyler Benson. Like again, that's a heck of a good idea. Do they? It's it's kind of baffling how someone can get a good deal like that. One guy gets it, and then everyone else is, I guess sitting on the sidelines. I guess it happens again and again in the NHL. Someone's going to get lucky. Maybe it was just Dubas's turn, but I, I have to give Dubas credit. Like other than oh, yeah. Tavares contract, I, I like almost everything he's done. I don't, I don't really like the, the Tavares signing. I think it was a bad idea. Um, but everything else, the guy makes a lot of good moves. McCann plays center and he plays wing. And I think more, he's really wing. a wing. In Pittsburgh. He, he can't take end. face-offs. 53, not 43%, 43% on the dot, right, and he only right, took right. 130. Yeah, so. so yeah, this last year he played more wing than center, for sure. Yeah. But in, he, he played parts of three seasons in Pittsburgh. Of course, two of them were shortened seasons, but overall he played 141 games, I think, and on a per-82 basis on a full regular, normal, regular season. 23 goals, 26 points, or assists, 49 points, plus 18. That's, that's what he averaged during his three-year stint in Pittsburgh. You're saying that's not an upgrade on what the Oilers are porting around in their middle six? I mean, you're saying that's, you know, I mean, he's 25 years old. He's under one more year on his contract at under $3 million, and then he's a restricted free agent. Like, he had a lot going on, but not for the Oilers, apparently. Yeah, I mean, the Oilers gave up two second-round draft picks for a very similar player last year at the trade deadline in Andres Afanasio. That's yep. the truth, Bruce. McCann, yep. McCann's numbers, There's if you when you're just looking at the point-scoring numbers, which is a really good number to look at. If you're going to look at any number for judging a forward, that's a really great proxy for offensive ability is point-scoring, especially over time. One season, you can, can be out of kilter, but McCann's numbers are pretty good over time. They're better than Afanasio's over time. And <laughs> they gave up. They didn't have to give up two second round picks to get him. So this is this is that. Now it's fair. It's fair to say this. This is just one moment in time for the Oilers, for for Holland's run of the Oilers. And there's 32 GMs, 31 GMs now, other than the Seattle GM, making deals now, and only one of them, uh, Dubas in Toronto, got a I, I think a steal of a deal like that. The other ones, there's a few others, three or four or five, who probably got deals that are going to work out well for their teams. But there's just the one who, you know, what I would consider to be kind of what looks like larceny here. So Holland's not, he's in the boat with all of these other really, and these lots of very competent people in these jobs. It's, it's So it's sometimes hard to make a deal. And who knows why that deal, how did Toronto, that's really interesting. Why Toronto and why that price? I'd like to know the answer to that because yeah. it's it does seem like, that Pittsburgh didn't try very hard to get market price for this player. You can't get like a fourth pick, fourth round pick at least for Jared McCann. Maybe Hollander Maybe is Hollander's a lot better. better. Maybe he's a lot better than you and I. So this is the, that's the obvious right. thing, right? Well, that's this Pitch- is the obvious thing, how we're getting it wrong. Hollander is a much better prospect than, than his numbers look in, right. in uh, the Swedish league. And the draft pick was a throw in. Well, Pittsburgh knows Hollander because they traded him. 
for Kasperi Kapanen, and they're, now they've traded to get him back. Well, that's so a, they're that's obviously a, tracking tracking him, and they're they're uh, they obviously still like the player. And so you know maybe he's a, um, you know maybe he's someone who wins the trade for him. All I know is that Toronto got not only an NHL ready player, but a 25 year old NHL over 350 games under his belt. Like this is a you know this is a player. And I thought that's what Edmonton was looking for. So, Bruce, uh, it's it's funny. Um, throughout the week, every time a new left shot defenseman came <laughs> came open, there was a, just from writers every all over the NHL, day. every single one of them was mentioning Duncan Keith to the point where it was like, just shut up already. Like, shut up. Oh. And then when, but then, of course, every time there was a left shot, the defenseman that came open, the first thing to pop into my mind was, oh, like they could have had him instead of Duncan. Had him instead, so it's yeah. hard for me to blame. Like it's, it grates on me that everyone's <laughs> doing that. But on the other hand, I'm doing it myself. It shows yeah. how sticky a narrative is. Oh yeah. Um, like once that's out there, we're going to be thinking every time for the next year or two, probably the entire time Duncan Keith's in Edmonton, like, like on part of me just hopes that he performs just to shut everybody up. Like, I mean, because I'm, I'm not like a, I'm a fan of the team and I, I hope that Holland does well. And I hope that Keith does well on some level. So I'm kind of biased in that direction in, in cheering for the GM and in cheering for the player too. So I just, it does great on me on, on some level, even though I, uh, you know, the, he made the trade, not me. That's on him. And I don't even, I don't think it was a very good trade. You know, the, that's mm-hmm. my gut feeling. That's my initial take is I think I'm, I'm in that group that thought he paid way too much. But still, it grates on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and like, I mean, but it's it's only legit, I think. I mean, Holland went first, so in in, in one sense, he might have had first dibs on uh, on many of those guys. Nick Letty. I mean, you know what uh, Detroit gave up for Nick Letty? The second round pick that they got from Edmonton. The second second round pick they got from Edmonton for Athanasio. I know. Yeah, so, Bruce, if you go by uh, points score, like if you go by a combination of point scoring at even strength and power play and time on ice in various situations, key situations, even strength, mm-hmm. overtime, shorthanded, yep. if you use those five metrics to rate NHL D-men. So it's a it's a proxy for offensive play and mm-hmm. a proxy for how much their coach trusted that player. Right. Nick Letty ranks in the NHL of, you know, of all the NHL defensemen, Nick Letty last season ranked 34th. In the NHL. So he, in terms of coaches' trust and offensive performance, and this doesn't speak really too much to defensive performance, which is a big thing, still ranked 34th. And um, Ryan Ellis ranked 40, what was it? He's the right shot defenseman that went 41st in the NHL. So these are two top pairing, first pairing D-man by usage and point scoring. That, right. that moved today for not a whole heck of a lot. And um, although uh, no. some people really like this young defenseman, uh, Philip Myers from Philadelphia, who went to to, to uh, Nashville. And I could see that, that trade eventually being seen as more of an even trade. So, yeah. Some people really like that Caleb Jones fellow who went to Chicago too. Well, that's it, isn't it? (laughs) We don't know. I mean, in each case, we're just kind of saying, well, he's an interesting prospect. We'll see what happens. And Duncan Keith, Bruce, I ranked the defenseman for the the top 97 defensemen. I was trying to actually look at who are the real first pairing defensemen in the NHL. So I went Mm -hmm. to 60, and then 
I, I actually just wanted to see where Adam Larson would fit on my list. And that was mm-hmm. closer to, to the 90s. I think he's in yeah. somewhere in the 90s. So I, I ranked the top 97. Guess who isn't in the top 97th in terms of both usage and points scoring? Duncan Keith. Isn't Even in with the all that ice time, eh? Well, his his point scoring, I was going on a rate basis. And oh, his right. point scoring on a rate basis is weak. Bruce, it's, yeah. third, it's bottom third pairing yeah. for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So Duncan Keith isn't on that list. So take that for what it's worth. I, I feel it might be worth something or I wouldn't be mentioning it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. There's a rumor here. There was an interesting tweet. Are we done with that part of it? You want to? Yep. Okay. Yeah, There's, go the ahead. window was, sorry, I'll wrap up by saying the window. This was a big window before the expansion draft declaration. Players being available who wouldn't otherwise be available. Like, once these guys clear the Seattle expansion process next week, you could go back to the same GMs and say, well, what, what's the price tag on this guy or that? And it'll be higher. Like the, the, the bargains were to be had on the guys that couldn't be protected. And that, that was a one-time bargain shopping bin. And it's closed. And the Oilers did nothing since Monday. Really. Mason Appleton was free from Winnipeg. And, you know, I, this is my impression of Mason Appleton just comes from watching the Jets this this year mm-hmm. and in the playoffs. He's good. If, if I was to bet on who's going to be a better player over the next six years, Mason Appleton or Zach Hyman, I would bet on Mason Appleton. He's, he's what, five years younger, six years younger. I don't think he's been as injured as Zach Hyman. He looks to me like he, they look like kind of similar style players. And Mason Appleton is... Let me just check. I got to make sure I'm right on this, on his age, because I think he's about five years younger. He's 25 years old. So he's... 6'2", 193. Sixth round draft pick. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, he had a pretty strong season. Yeah. And, you know, he, he just... He, let's put it this way. Anytime the Oilers played the Jets, which was 13 times this year, and I watched every one of those games... It seemed like Mason Appleton was a factor in those games. Like he, yeah, it was. It's not a guy that you know just cruises and goes through the motions some nights. Like he always seemed to be, you know, in the in the middle of things. So, and I don't know if Winnipeg can protect him or not. And if they can't, probably Seattle will take him. Eh? Yeah, I wish the orders had. Like, if you're doing um, cost benefit analysis of going six years for six million dollars on Hyman, which is the rumor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really against that, Bruce. Like, the, the more I dig into it, and I did a post where I recently dug into it just last night, and w- when you look at power forwards, which which is what Hyman is, he plays that gritty game, heading into their 30s, um, it, some of the superstar players are really good players, like Aginla, you know, plays that physical game, and Shane Doan, they, they hung on well. But when you get to players kind of of, and, and, and Landeskog might arguably be in that kind of, touching into that category where he might make more sense for some team to make a big splashy offer on. But when you get to the, the kind of the quality of, of winger that Zach Hyman is right now, and he's a really good player. Like I don't want to denigrate the player. He's a really good player right now. I'd love, I'd love if he was on the orders next year, Mm -hmm. year after that. I think there, you know, there's a really good chance he could even significantly improve the team and help the orders compete in the Stanley cup playoffs. I don't have any doubt about that, but when you look at that quality of player like that, his level, which is, you know, probably like not first line, but second line, uh, big, tough grinding winger, uh, with some skill. They usually don't last very well. I'd rather and there's, there's just all kinds of guys like that who don't last at all. Like, and it seems to be the rule rather than the exception that they don't last. The exception is the guy who lasts a little bit longer, who's kind of at that level 
they all seem to burn out around 31, 32, if not before then. I'd rather uh, make uh, Tampa Bay an offer for Alex Kalorn, who has two years to go at $4.4 million, uh, who they're probably not able to protect in this expansion draft. So again, this, there was a window here for that. And he may well survive the expansion draft process, and they're still going to be looking to shed salary. So that's not necessarily a door that's fully closed. But if you can get that guy, he's the same. Uh, he's got things in common, certainly with Zach Hyman. You know, he's a battle winner. He's a, uh, uh, you know, a glue player. Does does uh, lots of uh, lots of different things. Uh, excellent penalty killer. Besides, uh, you know, not a top-notch first-rate scorer, but not a bad scorer. Like if he's the third best guy on your line, your line is going to be a good line. Let's put it that way. And that's basically how things lined up for him in in Tampa. And that's how things could could have worked out for him, uh, uh, you know, in Edmonton technically. And that, to get a guy like that two years at a, at a at, you know at a, at a uh, control cost like that, like that that's to me that's the uh, kind of guys Oilers should be targeting as opposed to going six or seven years deep on a 29 year old free agent, as as you pointed out, with a couple knee injuries in the last few years. Yeah, yeah I, I, and again, we don't know how. Who knows who's spreading the rumors about, you know, the orders, you know, the, the, the contract offer that might've come from the orders or from other teams and the teams that are actually interested in Hyman, you know, you, they generally get it often get it right with these rumors though. There's mm-hmm. enough of them that there seems to be, there's enough smoke that I'm assuming there's some fire here. So, but yeah, I, I just think there's, you know, and I, I, you raised a really good point, Bruce, the last time we talked on, on Hyman was this whole idea of blocking Dylan Holloway. I mean, the mm-hmm. chances, what are the chances over the next six years that Dylan Holloway's a better player than Zach Hyman? I, I would say it's, it's, the chances are excellent. Like they're really good to the point where if you bring in Hyman, how many years before he's bumped down to the third line and, and Holloway's taken his spot and you're paying $6 million a year for a third line or fourth line winger, like they are now with James Neal and like Calgary is with Milan Lucic and on and on and on the examples of this kind of player. Or you bump Nuge down to 3C and you and you rearrange your left wingers that way. I mean, that's... You do that. Now, now that Nuge is only making $5 million a year, that puts him in the category of uh, of Yanni Gord and Jean-Gabriel Pajot, you know, top-notch third-line centers that uh, cover the bet. So, I mean, he's now at least in, that, uh, in the price range for a high-end 3C. So... That's one possibility down that's, the road. That's true. Although I, I honestly, I haven't loved Nugent Center in quite some time. Although I did love him in Game Four of the playoffs at Center, he mm-hmm. he came up and 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 played it. I I like him on the wing better uh, than I do at Center. But you know that's a possibility. So I guess it's it's not for sure that Holloway will be blocked if you bring in if you bring in Hyman or you know you know Landeskog, which seems a little bit uh, out of this world. Doesn't have the air of reality bringing Gabriel Landeskog. But stranger things that have happened. I mean, we got Chris Pronger, so you just never know, do you? Uh, so here's a uh, Mark Spector had an interesting tweet mm. today. Just did it come after just just after the freeze of uh, the roster freeze happened? I believe just around then, at least I around think, then. Uh... Spector, who is very connected and strong reporter columnist for Sportsnet. Um, gets a lot of good information out there. And his his tweet is, quote, though deal is not done, Adam Larson should come in at 
years times 3.9 million if slash when he signs with Edmonton. If he went to market, it could probably push near Chris Tanev numbers, 4.5 million average annual uh, cap hit. Suspect he'll play as a leader and core player in Edmonton, though. End quote. Bruce, that's, the, the, I'll just say it. What jumped out me was the amazing specificity of the four years times $3.9 million. Um, Didn't say around $4 million, did he? <laughs> <laughs> that was awfully specific for a guess. Nine, nine minutes nine minutes before the uh, deadline, for the freeze deadline, 12.51 p.m., that tweet came through, and the, and the uh, roster freeze and signing moratorium kicked in at 1 o'clock. So Good. they haven't signed Larson, I assume, or we would have heard about it by now. So if they're trying to finesse him through the uh, expansion process, uh, the finesse is kind of out there in the open now, isn't it? Well... <laughs> okay, my question for you, Bruce, is this just a good guess? Is this a good guess? Or is this just speculation? Or is this Exhibit A in the Seattle Kraken's um, case against the Edmonton Oilers for, what's the right word? Um, Collusion? Not, col- colluding to keep a player away from. <laughs> That's one of the words. There's a circumvention. Uh, there's, circumvention. There's a caps, uh, you know, you know expansion words. draft rules, circumvention. That's what I was looking for. You know, I don't know. Like, this just could be a guess. This could be a guess. But we, on top of this, we had the Dreger comment from earlier in the week where Dragon, Darren Dreger, I think we talked about this on the previous podcast, if I'm not mistaken, where Darren Dreger um, said, you know, if, if kind of, if Larson signs, when he signs, you know, he, he, yeah. he was really, really clear that Larson was going to sign as well. And again, my position is like, if the orders can do this and, it's probably hard for Seattle to prove their case. Yeah. More power to Kent Holland. I mean, we just saw Tampa Bay win a freaking Stanley Cup mm-hmm. with some rather sharp and clever dealing, which some people referred to as, what was your word, Bruce? Not just sneaky, but... Um, oh, yeah. Remember what you said. Anyway, no, some sharp... We agreed it was both smart and... Uh, and not, cr- not, not crooked, not... Yeah, just, uh, yeah very, very shady. Shady. Uh, it was a word like that. So if, Sle- if sleazy, 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 if Ken Holland has pulled <laughs> off a smart and sleazy move here, I give him full power, full credit because, um, good. The orders need to be smart uh, in, yeah. in this NHL. You, yeah. you, there's people like Lou Lamorello and other GMs who, who bend the roles and push the roles as far as they can go constantly, as far as I'm concerned. And Glenn Sather, I think was rather famous for it. He got, there's a few that he was on the wrong side of, like the Adam Graves compensation. Uh, but anyway, there was a few that where we got, where, where the orders got, and you can bring up your favorite example right now. Bank, bank Dr. Gustafson. I was going to say, if Seattle cites the Bank Dr. Gustafson's precedent and says, we should just get this player from Edmonton because we think they skirted the rules. And, and NHL would look in their big rule book, page one, number 1.1.1, take it to Edmonton every chance you get. And, uh, and you know how that rolling goes. Anyway, this is me being a paranoid fan, but a paranoid fan with a 40-plus year history of being on the wrong end of league decisions, i got to say. so You know, Bruce, in the future, we could just sit here and you could say, you could say, just say one word, Bent Acugustus, and we could both sit there and just mutter and curse for five minutes. And then I could throw out Troy Millette 
and we could both mm-hmm. sit there and mutter and curse for five minutes. Oh. You could just go back and forth, name it. We don't even have to have to say anything else. That could be the podcast. Troy Millette scored one goal for the Edmonton Oilers. He was compensation for Adam Graves, who scored 280 goals for the New York Rangers. Fair? Seems fair. Decision coming from the league office in New York. Just saying. Uh huh. What most people are thinking isn't <laughs> fair right now, Bruce, is that you have a memory that can pull out the fact that Adam. Well, someone great. needs the institutional memory around here, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what Ken Holland is up against. Uh All right. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's a sharp, if that's, if the owners do have a deal in place, okay, first of all, that's good for Ken Holland. But second of all, thank goodness, God, like, thank goodness gracious, Bruce, because Adam Larson, I mean, it's, I've actually liked this last little moment here where, where, where fan, all kinds of fans have had to face the idea that Adam Larson might leave the team. Because it's brought out the Adam Larson love like no other thing have I seen since the Taylor Hall trade. Like, I think there's been a lot of people who have been a little harder on Adam Larson than they otherwise might have been if 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 he hadn't moved in that trade. But this is bringing it out, man. The Adam Larson love is coming on strong. And as anyone who listened to the last podcast where I suggested a three-year deal at, at $5.5 million would be my upper limit for Adam Larson, which which is significantly higher than what Spectre is suggesting. I have a different valuation of Adam Larson right. than probably 99% of Oiler fans. Well, maybe even, not, I wonder, I wonder how many have a similar as me. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe there are like 10% or 20% who also value Adam Larson at that high level, but I'm thrilled if this deal is in place. Well, they're certainly speculating that it might be. I mean, time will tell, right? I mean, maybe the, the, the thing about finessing him through the Seattle draft uh, the Seattle window is that now for the next few days, Seattle can come to Adam Larson and his agent and say, you know, we really like you and we're going to offer you six times, six times four and a half or six times five or five times five and and beat both the term and the cap hit in Edmonton and tempt him and see what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm liking seeing that it sounds like something's go- going to get done, but We'll wait until it actually is done before we can uh, pop the cork. I just wonder, you know, because, you know, the way that we, the the way that we do analytics, and I put a lot of stock in it, you know, looking at scoring chances for and against and their major contributions for, for and against. Adam Larson is at even strength, ranked as the Oilers' top D-man for, for two years running. Better than Darnell Nurse and better than, you know, just... There was one year where there was about five guys who were really close. And then this year he was just a little bit better than that. Larson was, there was, it was a bit more significant, his lead. So there's all kinds of individual analytics that an NHL team could track defensively. We just track one of them, kind of a Mm -hmm. um, mistake-based analysis rather than positive things people do defensively. But some of the best analytics teams in the NHL, I guess, are tracking positive things that defensemen do on defense. And um, all that good stuff. So there could be a, a team out there that would, um, if what I'm seeing and saying about Larson is right, you know, that has kind of individual analytics out there that would mm-hmm. suggest that he's worth a lot more than is generally considered. Because that's how I see it. That's how I see the player. But maybe maybe that's not the case. I don't know. Something I can't answer. It's funny. One of the... Uh, um Defensive analytics has been available uh, from the league for the last 20 plus years is 
the stats that are most frequently derided by modern analytics people, namely shot blocks and hits, which measure two different things that defensive players can do when they don't have the puck, get in the shooting lane or take the guy out. <clears throat> and uh, those those stats certainly do have their flaws, but they also give you some information about the way he plays. And, you know, Adam Larson was in the top 10 among NHL defensemen. In fact, I think he was in the top five among defensemen in both uh, both of those categories this year, meaning that he was a you know a proactive defender without the puck. That's what and I take out of it. He also had pretty good shot metrics, Bruce. Um, like in the overall in the NHL for D-man for expected goals four percentage, he ranks seventy seventieth. And considering he didn't play very much with Connor McDavid, um, I don't know what he play, how many minutes he played with Drysaddle or McDavid this year, but. He didn't play much, that much with McDavid. I, I know that for sure, right. just, well, just from memory. Um, McDavid played so much in the one unit, right? That's right. And then when it wasn't, yeah. So pretty good. So maybe this is why there's such widespread appreciation of Larson right now, because it, 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 the people who put a lot of stock in shot metrics are are uh, saw Larson saw Larson's number. They looking at his number, they think he was pretty good this year. So that could that could explain it. Anyway, it's. I'm I'm going to be doing a poll, Bruce. I think the final foot to drop on the Taylor Hall trade is when, if uh, and when Adam Larson signs with the Edmonton Oilers, that's kind of the final moment uh, to, to make a judgment on that trade, I'll suggest, because it's the final transactional moment. Like when he's, he's his decision to sign here will partly be based on how well he did here, how well management thinks he, he did here. So it's related to that period. And if he signs here, I would say that's a, it's a plus mark for that trade overall. So I'm going to give, um, I, I want to do a poll then and see what people think of the, that trade, you know, the kind of the final assessment of it and see, uh, I'll have to think about like, what would you say? Who won the trade, New Jersey or Edmonton, I guess is the, is the final question. So see what people think. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, in, in a sense, any, tra- any trade that happens is one player's contract for another player's contract. And unless the team has rights to the guy at the end of the contract, you really should judge him at the end of the... So Adam Larson's contract the Oilers acquired just ended. They have five years to run. Yeah. And the, the one that the Oilers traded to New Jersey, Taylor Hall, had four years to run. And that ran its course. And of course, this year he got a new one-year contract, $8 bucks from uh, from Buffalo. Uh, but, um, uh, Lar- you know... If the Oilers now re-sign Larson, I mean, obviously they had an inside track in that he was already on their team, but basically they're now buying him on the open market. Correct. All righty, Bruce, is there anything else? I guess anything else we want to talk about the expansion list? I guess that's coming out. Bob Stoffer put it's out a coming. list. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, Bob's list, uh, and Bob's a pretty connected, obviously, team insider. Um, he It uh, did not, it included Zach Cassian and Josh Archibald. Right. It it didn't include Jujar Kara and uh, Tyler Benson. So there's some people who think that Tyler Benson will go. There's other people who think that Jujar Kara will go. Mm-hmm. There's a minority that thinks. Uh, did he have who did he have in net? Did he have um, Stalock? Probably Skinner, but I, I think it was yeah, Skinner. Right. Okay, and there's there's some who think Logason will go. Right. I, I I'm. It, who would if it were you? Who would you take? Uh, who would I take? Yeah. Who? Um, uh, Benson would be looking mighty good if I was trying to build a new expansion team. 
23 year old guy that you know ripped it up in the AHL a couple of years uh you know restricted free agent but that's no biggie because he won't get uh, you know he's got no arbitration rights nor does he have any particular negotiating power at this point he's only played seven nhl games so that, they get him for cheap uh if that's the guy i mean i wrote about this uh on uh, uh in my last post and said you know said the f- forwards the five are obvious right mcdavid dry saddle nugent hopkins pull yarvi yamamoto those are slam dunk protected and the other guys i listed i didn't list Kara, but i listed cassian archibald benson said personally i take benson and one of the other two because you you know you've got a uh um a fast physical uh winger uh for your bottom six but if you protect protect both of them now you've got two fast physical right wingers for your bottom six in the meantime we're supposed to be trying to improve our bottom six and yet <clears throat> we're protecting guys and and uh, signing Devin Shore, you know, and doing doing these moves of sort of consolidating the bottom six that was there already. And in the meantime, they've got this guy that, you know, they put a second round draft pick and they developed him for five years, three years in the organization. He's come along nicely. He's a point of game player in the AHL now. And yet he's on the outside looking in. I, I'm not sure that I quite understand it. Because I think, you know, if, if they were to lose either Cassian or Archibald, I think the guy is replaceable and um, they would save some cap space. Like if they left Archibald unprotected, they could find another, you know, bottom six right winger out there in the open market that probably would be less than $1.5 million. Whereas if they lose a, you know, a, a five-year project in Tyler Benson, then... You know, it takes five years to replace that guy, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that Seattle would take Archibald if he was available. Maybe, um, and he's—I think he's a good player, but I don't yeah, think he's, he's all right. He's, he's, he's a top good seven on the team. Grinder. No, he's not. Yeah. He's not in your core twelve. He's not right. a third line center. He's not in your core twelve. Yeah. Um, Zach Cassian isn't in your core twelve, and he's overpaid. Oh, now, do the Oilers have the ability to trade him? If if so, why didn't that happen? Right. Um, that's that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Benson should be getting a shot, and he should have had a shot this year, earlier in the year, than he, than he got. They would have known better what they have in Tyler Benson if they had called him up sometime. Like, he was killing it in the AHL. Just call him up a month into the into it. He could have gone through the two-week thing and played. Um, that, was, that was the first mistake. And uh, I don't know. I just I, – I, I hope Seattle doesn't take him. I hope they take Kara. And I think that's, uh, Stoffer was suggesting he thinks that's the way they may go. Maybe he has some knowledge. I don't know. Maybe just guessing. Uh, Loggison is a good player too. William Loggison, if they're looking for a defenseman. But I think he's more, Benson's a much better bet than Loggison, I think, to be a quarter 12 player at this point. Tyler mm-hmm. Benson has an outside chance of being that still. It could right. still happen for him. Loggison, I don't see it. I think, I think he, he's a third pairing defenseman at best. Kind of a Matt Green at best. If he sticks in the NHL, you know, that's his mm-hmm. ceiling. Pretty good yeah. ceiling if he could develop into that player. Right. But uh, they, they'd probably be better off going for Benson. It's the, the draft lists apparently are short on scoring talent, and Benson has that possibility. So I'd be surprised if they don't. Would I have protected Benson over Cassian? The, the only reason I'm protecting Cassian personally is if he has trade value. Like if you could get something for him in a trade and i just wonder maybe there maybe the that was a hard trade to make before um expansion before the list had to go in because then a team would have had to protect cassian 
Um, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, Bruce. Maybe yeah. it, just like Cassian, maybe the obvious answer is the obvious thing is just like the obvious thing in the end with Duncan Keith was they just like they saw Duncan Keith as a second pairing left mm-hmm. side defenseman worth that amount of money. And they were pre- prepared to pay the price because that's what th- was their evaluation of that player. And maybe the obvious thing here is they just value Cassian as a third line enforcer and they want to keep that guy on their team because they, they think if they lose that guy, they're going to be looking for that guy. And and it'll be hard to find someone who can also play hockey like Zach Cassian can. Maybe they, they see him as a core player of a sort. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, or maybe the, the uh, uh, leadership group really likes the guy. I mean, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, right? But it's, uh, uh, you know, from a strictly fine, if Seattle were to come along and pluck that contract, you'd like to think the Oilers could do uh, quite a bit with an extra $3.2 million in cap space for the next three years over the guy that scored two goals this season. But that's just well, maybe, 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 <laughs> well, maybe he's Bob's list is incorrect. It's possible. And they'll protect Benson mm-hmm. and let Cassie and let him, let it roll. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll know more tomorrow, but we're going on the, we we're yeah. going on the idea that, that Bob's list is probably uh, the list that's going to go in. Yeah. Well, I, when I wrote about the other day, I said, I, keep Benson and one of those two guys, but I also said it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if uh, if Holland went with the two veterans and sounds like that may be the way he's leaning. Because this just in, I value Bob Stoffer's guess at who's on the protected list more than I value Bruce McCurdy's guess. <laughs> yes. Bob's got a little <laughs> few more sources than we do. He does, <laughs> As he mentions on the his own show, he does work for the team. Uh, he's also an incredibly hard worker. Mm-hmm. Uh so uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic reported that the Oilers are thinking of qualifying Cooper Marodi, which mm-hmm. is good news. I think it's excellent news. Um, you got to do it. I mean, why, <laughs> why, why wouldn't you qualify? I mean, they, they might wind up trading the guy. because so I hear there's a little bit of a difference of opinion there. But he has some value as a trading chip. You know, I mean, if there's going to be a trade down the road, of, you know, that includes a, even, let's say, B-level prospect. And they throw in Marodi and they get something substantial back. That's better than just letting the guy walk and sign somewhere else. Because, I mean, he led the AHL in goals this past year. Like, he can score. And I can't remember if this also came from the same article, but there's talk of maybe the Oilers not offering qualifying offers to Kara and Cahoon, but maybe maybe re-signing them at a lower amount, both of them. Not sure about that with either player. Uh so someone's going to have to fact check me on that. I should have checked before I, I came Cara, on. Kara kind of makes sense, but if they were to do it, they would actually sign, rather than issue the qualifying offer, they would announce that they signed an extension and that the two sides had agreed to some lower figure because his uh, platform rate is 1.3 million. And some would say his value is probably closer to 1 million. So if it comes in that it's, team assigned to a one or two year extension for 1 million it wouldn't be a shock and it wouldn't be a bad move i don't think yeah and we just have to see with Cahoon. he might make sense coming back if as a third line player um at a low price uh you know he he'd be a decent i i didn't mind dominic Cahoon as a as a hockey player i mean he's a, again he's a smaller player he's a finesse player you, you have to have a good mix on your team and the orders have some you know they have quite a few smaller guys already one of the Archibald hits above his weight, obviously. And Yamamoto's no shrinking violet. Right. What is a shrinking violet, Bruce? Do you know? Uh, yeah, it's a violet that shrinks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, I think it, it, it shrivels up away from the sun, possibly. I'm not shrinking sure. Shrinking 
violent. Yeah, there, there's some biological basis in it, I'm sure, but it's a, it's it certainly is uh, uh, not a term of endearment when you're talking about an athlete, especially in a physical sport. But often you hear it as he's no shrinking violet. You almost almost never say that guy's a shrinking violet. You don't usually hear it like that. Most sources say the phrase originated in the UK and refers to the violet flower. Well, there it's not a very exciting story. Bruce, you got to go on your walk. I got to get clean in the house here. So let's. You got anything else, or do you want to? Well, we got lot? lots of grist for the mill for future podcasts. There's so much going down here. I mean, tomorrow morning, I think. Officially, the news comes out as to who's protecting. Then Seattle's got three days to have at her to talk to all the free agents, to look at all the 30 lists that they've got of players they could potentially choose from the teams, to work out side deals with those teams. And then uh, sometime Wednesday, 6 p.m., I think it is our time, that the black box is lifted and the Seattle team is introduced as the guy. And you'll remember the same situation that's happened with Vegas four years ago and the news came down that they'd taken Griffin Reinhardt off of the Oilers at that time, among a lot of other way more newsworthy events. Like they made some big side deals and stuff that worked yeah. out very well for them. So that's going to be exciting. And then right from there, we go right into the draft. And right after the draft, it's qualifying restricted free agents. And right after that, we're into unrestricted. Like it's all within the next less than two weeks, all of this stuff. So I think we'll probably be doing, a, it'll almost be like uh, every other day, like regular season podcasts again, David. Alrighty. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.